Hey everyone, we are here with another episode of About Crypto with David Nage. How's it going, David? I'm good, Cody. How are you? I'm I'm living the dream just here in New York with you as well, and uh, yep. just living through the pandemic. So it's been a weird lot. time, dude. It's really, really strange time, man. And I'm over it. I'm hoping all these phases kind of blaze through, and we're back to some sort of normalcy. I'm waiting for phase like two and a half or two and a quarter. <laughs> right. I'm going to three yet, but we're like quarter step. Yeah, quarter stepping is, we're getting there. So hopefully yeah. soon. But uh, you, you work in crypto and you're the principal at Arca. Um, so my question for you is, how did you get into crypto? So it started about five years ago. Uh, I came from the family office world. And for those that may not be familiar with a family office is, it's a effectively an institution, a a grouping uh, of folks that help manage a wealthy family's affairs. And uh, I've been focused on the investment side, always focused more on early stage technology investments. And then around 2015, one of those family members made an investment in one of the first Bitcoin funds. And 2015 was an auspicious time within Bitcoin's history. Uh, it was a time where we saw the Silk Road and we saw Dread Pirate Roberts get arrested. We saw the Dow hack. Um, and so it was a lot of negative headlines, whereas we don't see as much of that these days. Uh, we hear about like Secretary Mnuchin and, and this new book talking about how he's going to shut down Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> but we didn't, we don't you know, necessarily hear about like, you know, the Amazons, you know, of the, of the underworld that are using Bitcoin. So it was a scary time. And so I had to spend a bunch of time understanding what Bitcoin was. And I spent about six months. I taught myself how to code, which is not necessary. I wouldn't say it's necessary for anybody, but I always like to say, if I'm going to a foreign country, I at least want to be able to ask someone if I go to a restaurant where the bathroom is in their own native language. It's just kind of a thing where it's like, I don't want to sound like an obnoxious American tourist. And so I, I taught myself code just so I would understand the nuances. And when I would speak to people who are obviously much more engrossed in the space. And so it was about five or six months of that time. And that really led me to the belief that distributed and decentralized systems were going to have a massive effect on society and they were going to have a massive effect on economic systems that the current systems that we have today are built on centralized locations and those centralized locations are fallible that they can be attacked that user data can be easily taken away and what i call our digital selves us what we put on the on the internet can be taken away and sold and so that really led me to a deeper belief that this was going to be bigger than just Bitcoin, that it was going to be something massive. Obviously, I'm a massive proponent of Bitcoin. I think that in today's time, what we're dealing with, you know, unprecedented levels of fun, uh, f uh, financial and monetary stimulus from the Fed, you know, with trillions of dollars being printed, that Bitcoin's kind of purpose is going to be even greater than it was five years ago. But there is bigger things out there. There's a billion people who don't have any kind of identifier. They don't have a social security number and they can't get into the banking system. Can we solve that through distributed and decentralized architecture and systems? We can, we're starting to say. So it really led me to a greater belief that this was going to be big, that it was more than just one element. And so that really led me down to the path to really focus in on it. And then in 2018, um, I had thrown my first uh, family office conference called FO256. I saw hundreds of people gather together and coalesce around this. And I said, okay, I think I really have to, you know, kind of do this full time. 
And so I opted, I took a garden leave for about four months. I left the last family office I was at and met with a bunch of funds, met with a bunch of companies in the space, started writing, started my podcast, uh, Base Layer. And I uh, met the folks at Arca and we really meshed. We believed that there was something great happening here that to get people on board and keep it, and not just keep it within a sandbox, but to grow that sandbox to hundreds and thousands of investors and people out there that we really needed to have something that felt institutional, that felt familiar to them, that they understood that people who would talk to them wouldn't just talk to them in technological verbiage, that they would talk to them in their own language. And so it's been a great pleasure over the last year and a half to help build that company. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, what do you think about Goldman Sachs saying Bitcoin is not an asset class? Well, I disagree. Um, you know, I, I think I've spoken to enough people at Goldman to understand that it is a multifaceted, very large organization. So there is one department that has that sentiment where there are other ones that are not. There have been people at Goldman for the last few years that have been actually trying to build businesses there. There are people who have left Goldman uh, who have gone to other uh, companies within digital assets um, who really understood it while they were at Goldman. And so there are many people, in my opinion, that understand it there. But unfortunately, uh, this opportunity that arose about two or three weeks ago was really missed. I felt that it was rushed. I felt that they used a lot of the narratives that were from about 2016 or 17. I don't think hearing about ransomware and about the types of negative things that happen are really germane to the conversation today. Um, they were part of the history of digital assets and Bitcoin earlier on. Um, and as I've said this before, if you look at the history of technological innovation and, and adaptation and adoption, unfortunately, the worst people in the world are the first ones that take advantage of that. They use it to their own exploits. Um, and so that was part of the history and it has grown and we're starting to see it come to a more of a maturity level uh, today and more, you know, more people that are using it for the right reasons versus the wrong. And so I felt it was unfortunate, it was a misstep on their behalf. But again, uh, from my conversations with folks there, I know that it was a department. It's not the entire uh, kind of sense of the entire uh, of the firm. Awesome, thanks for that. And also, are we seeing a lot of institutional investors getting involved with digital assets or is it come to kind of slowed? And thank you for saying digital assets. It's something yeah. that's it's something that you know myself and you know people in my firm also believe that we need to kind of move this kind of narrative from crypto to digital assets um most of the things that are out there aside from bitcoin bitcoin obviously is you know has semblances of of, of a currency uh it's a medium of exchange it's a store of value um but the majority of the other things out there are actually building networks they're helping power distributed and decentralized networks to do things, whether it's decentralized finance, whether it's gaming, whether it's sports, um, there's different adaptations there. And so digital assets is really important. And so, yeah, I would say on the grander things, you know, just getting back to the question again, what was, you know, you wanted to ask kind of, what was the question again? Uh, are institutional investors flocking yeah. to digital assets? They, they are. What has happened over the course of the last few weeks has been, really monumentous, um, a very, I guess you can almost say legendary uh, investor, Paul Tudor Jones, uh, co-authored a paper with Lorenzo Giorgiani, who was the deputy director at the IMF for about 15 years. These are not, you know, quote unquote, crypto people. 
These are not anarchists. These are not people that are trying to burn the system down, um, which was what, what a lot of people were associated with this whole, you know, kind of revolution for, for many years. Um, I think you can obviously not blow things up. You can actually have a sloping change of progression, um, an arc of progression. Uh, Josh Wolf and I had a great uh, podcast that I'm releasing next week. He talked a lot about arcs. Um, you know, there's different arcs of progression here. And so, you know, I think what we're seeing right now is that that letter really had a massive effect on a lot of institutional investors. You know, I'm talking to big, you know, family offices every single day who are now questioning me. It's no longer why would I do this? It's how do I do this? How do I actually get into this world in a, in a way that's safe for us, in a way that's compliant for us, in a way that we feel safe, that we can sleep at night? And I know that sounds kind of silly to a lot of people who may be listening who are have been in digital assets, who have been in Bitcoin for a number of years. But when you're talking about someone else's money that you're investing on behalf of, the conversation is different. It's not just your assets, it's someone else's. Um, and with that is something called career risk. If you put your client's money into something and then all of a sudden you can't get the keys or you don't remember the keys or the seed phrase and you can't get into it and you, you're screwed. Um, that's something that doesn't really mesh well with people that are investing millions and maybe billions of people's, you know, of, of people's money for, on, on behalf of them. So it's a different dynamic, but again, I would really emphasize that over the last three to four weeks, especially after that letter, things have dramatically changed. There has been a real interest spike. Um, people are taking this much more seriously. They've seen the actions of the Fed that we talked about before with trillions being printed. And they are really trying to understand, can this asset, can Bitcoin and digital assets be a way to have kind of removal from the financial system? I always like to say it's untethered. You know, can this really be something where there's, you know, kind of untethered exposure to an asset that can help uh, our capital grow? And so it's been a really interesting time. Awesome. Thank you again. You're a wealth of knowledge and my audience is going to get so much from this. And uh, yeah. where can people find you? Well, uh, they can find me on Twitter. Um, David J. Nage um, is where they can find me. I always uh, love getting into conversations there and uh, having DMs there and talking to people there. Um, that's a great way to find me, you know, first and foremost. Um, and then if anyone's interested out there or want to learn more about the firm I'm at, it's, uh, the website is simple. It's ar.ca, and you can read our blog posts. You can check out everything else. And then, of course, if uh, they also want to check out podcasts and they like that, my podcast is Base Layer. Um, you can find that on iTunes, on Spotify, which apparently now is taking off because I think they just got a Kardashian and Joe Rogan too. So my podcasts are on Spotify and they always have been. Um, and any other places that you usually will find uh, your podcasts. Awesome. Thanks again and uh, have a good day. You too, Cody. All Take right. care all. Bye.